we are in Esther. Remember where Esther is? Who remembers? Middle of the Bible is Psalms, right? And then two books to the left is Esther. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in Esther chapter 4. We are in our fourth week of a series called... Yeah, I put it up there for you. You just have to read it. Brave. Um, it's been good so far. Let's see if I can recap in a, in a couple sentences. Maybe if you're here for the first time, you're like, okay, so week four, what did I miss? Here's what you missed the first three weeks of the series. Um, we've talked about to this point, we need to be brave because we need to deal with bad kings. So Esther chapter one, we met a bad king. Um, bonus points if you could tell me his name. Xerxes, good. Bonus points. I don't have a prize, but you're winning. That's good. Okay, um, so King Xerxes, he was a bad king, made bad decisions. But what did we also learn? We learned that he's not the only bad king, right? That we're also bad kings. That we tend to try to rule our own lives and we get in trouble as a result. We need to be brave, deal with bad kings. We need to be brave because we're affected by bad choices. And um, we learned that the next week, that you know, we make bad choices, don't we? we um, other people make bad choices that affect us. We make bad choices that affect ourselves. But the good news is that God's plan is never thwarted because of bad choices. Um, I love that about God. And last week we talked about um, Jaws, right? We talked about Jaws, the big shark. We, we talked about that there are sharks in the water. So we have to deal with bad people. Um, we met a man named Haman last week in the story, and he is the meanest baddest guy in the story. We met him last week, and we said this, that you and I will always find sharks in the water, right? We'll all, God's calling us out to do great things, and the minute we start doing great things, dun -dun, dun -dun, right? We hear, we hear the music, and we're like, oh, snap, sharks in the water. But God's bigger than sharks in the water. Um, I put this on Facebook this week. Might have been a better big idea than one I actually had. There may be sharks in the water, but there's a lion on the throne. That is good news, right? That's good news. So um, bad kings, bad choices, bad people. And so today we're at the, the fourth chapter. Now, um, a lot of theologians Theologians is a big word that means people smarter than Paul, right? That's what theologian means. A lot of theologians will say this, that chapter 4 is the hinge of the whole book. So if you think of it like kind of like a door, like it hinges. The whole story is going to turn right now on what happens in chapter 4. We're talking today about um, kind of like what does it mean to go public? What does it mean to take what we've, what, who we are and go public, reveal our identity to people. That's what we'll be talking about today. Um, on the one hand, what we've learned is we can relate to this story because of the humanity in it, right? Like, do you, are you that honest? Like, I read the Bible and I read people that make bonehead decisions and I go, now that I can relate to, right? <laughs> Maybe not all the healings and stuff, but that dumb decision, I can relate to that. So we relate to this but because of, because of the humanity, but we're encouraged in the book because of the sovereignty, right? Like what we've seen is this. Men like us, we make decisions down here, right? You wake up in the morning and you decide, so what are some decisions you make? Um, one, you decide, I'm going to go to work or I'm not going to go to work. Hopefully you choose to go to work. I'm going to brush my teeth or not brush my teeth. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm like, uh, please. Um, there have been times, I, like, I'm going to put deodorant on or I'm not. And I don't think we actually ever intentionally don't put it on, but sometimes we get so busy. We're like, I, I can remember driving in the car to a meeting and I realized, oh, oh, God, I forgot, right? And so then you're like, you're like this the whole day. How's it going, you know? 
So we, we make these choices, and we make choices. We live. We, we, where do I go to school? What job does God want me to have? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to marry? We make all these decisions, and those are good things, and we should pray about them, and we should absolutely make them. But what are we learning in Esther? That while we're doing this, there's a God who has a plan, isn't there? And he's so powerful, so sovereign, that even in our bad choices, he's able to work it out for his plan to be accomplished. And I don't know if maybe there's a more powerful realization for me in this book than this. God's not thwarted by my mistakes. And I make tons of them, right? I'm probably the only one in here that does. I know y'all are probably perfect, and I make tons of mistakes. To know that, that God's not going, oh, God. I didn't plan for Paul, right? What am I going to do now? There's so much hope in that. And so that's what we're learning. Um, some of the people that we've met, Xerxes, Vashti, Esther, Mordecai, Haman, all these people making these human choices and then God moving through those choices and working his plan. Um, today, as we look at this hinge, this hinge in the story, what we're going to see is this. It's, it's time to go public with who we are. It's, it's time to go public with who we are. You got three points on your um, note sheet. If you got a note sheet, and um, here we go. Here's number one. Let me ask you this question. Is our faith private or public? Don't answer it. Just think about that. Is our faith private or is it public? At the beginning of this chapter, we find Mordecai. Here's what's going on. Um, chapter 1, verse 4. Mordecai learned of all that had been done. When it says that Mordecai learned of all that had been done, that's just referring back to chapter 3. And what had been done in chapter 3? Who remembers? That They had signed a thing saying, it was like class for a moment, wasn't it? They signed a thing like, they're going to think like, I do, pick me. I want the star. Um, they, they, had, <laughs> they had called for this thing, like we call it like the purge, right? It's kind of like the purge, the movie The Purge. And they said, look, on this one day, all the Jews are going to be annihilated. Just wipe them out. That's what Mordecai had heard had happened. And so that's what it's talking about. When he learned all that had been done, he did what you would have done. He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. My guess is you wouldn't have put on sackcloth and ashes. But if you heard that on a specific day, no escape, you were going to be killed, and all the people that you love were going to be killed, I think you'd turn into an ugly crier, Right? Unless you're one of those people that we hate that can cry and you still look so good, right? We hate you, just so you know. We ugly criers hate you. Um, I'm an ugly crier, so when I'm really mourning, really crying, like sweat's pouring down, and then you have like the, the, the snot and sometimes the bungee snot, right? You have all that stuff going on. It's just nasty and ugly. So if I'm at the altar and I'm crying, I am making sure that I like... Do something before I get up, right? Because you don't want to get up and like turn around and just be like, hey, how's it going? They're like, oh, whoa, hey, dude, right here and here and here, right? This is Mordecai. He's not trying to hide it. He's going through the city and he is weeping and he is wailing and he has torn his clothes and he is dressed in such a way that everybody that sees him goes, something's not right. That's what's happened with Mordecai. Man, something about, it's not a fashion statement. Like nobody wears sackcloth and ashes because it looks good. It's, it's a disaster statement. Like something bad is getting ready to happen. It's going to affect me. And it causes him to come out. Isn't that kind of how it is in life? Like things are kind of going good. You're kind of like flying under the radar. 
and then something bad happens. The doctor says the C word, right? You hear about, you know, like somebody stabbed you in the back. Something happens, right? Something unexpected. And all of a sudden, that crisis reveals who you are. And that's, I want you to get that. This is what's happening in these first few verses of chapter 4. The crisis in Persia is revealing who Mordecai was. He can't, and he, he can't do this anymore. Well, I'm a Jew, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Because the minute he ripped his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, how many of you know that he suddenly became very visible as being different? They were like, uh, I'm looking good with my three-piece suit, and you're looking like, what is that you're wearing? Right? Suddenly it's like, I'm not like you, and you're not like me. The crisis outed Mordecai. Suddenly he's, he's not private anymore. He's not the same He's different. And that's how it is with us. The question is this. When you go through crisis, who, who are you really? What's your real identity? Have you ever seen somebody go through a hard time and they react in a way that you didn't expect? And you kind of go, where'd that come from? Right? Like you were like the nicest dude ever and now you're cussing all the time. Like uh, what happened? You were a Wolfpack fan. And now, like, you're for the Tar Heels and Blue Devils. What is going on here? Or the other way around, right? You were, you were Panthers, and now you're a Cowboys fan. I can't wrap my head around it. You've changed. Maybe, maybe you were that person. Maybe you've gone through something hard, and people around you started saying, we've got to talk because you're not who you used to be. See, good times don't reveal that, right? It's the hard times. Mordecai heard that his whole, all the people were going to be killed. So now he's weeping. He's wailing. He's different. Let me ask you this question. In a moment of crisis, who do you call on? Psalm 86.7 says that we should call on the Lord in times of trouble. Most of us call on Facebook, don't we? All right. Oh, great blue and white F. I bow before you as I post this status to you in hopes that you can solve my problem. Who do you call on first in times of trouble? Call on the Lord. So that's Mordecai, right? Can I get this picture? There's um, the king, there's Queen Esther. She's like up in the castle. And then there's Mordecai who's freaking out legitimately. And it says um, at the end, I think it's like verse 3, that... Everybody, everywhere that was read, all the Jews, sackcloth and ashes, weeping, wailing. Like it's going on all over the place, right? And so picture this. There's Jews and there's non-Jews, right? And so forever they've tried to kind of blend together. But now that the Jews are going to be killed, they can't hide anymore because they're the ones that are crying like crazy. And all the other non-Jews are like, "Something's. why are you crying? Oh, you're a Jew. So they can't hide, right? So this whole... This conflict has brought them out, except for one Jew. There's one Jew in all of Susa who's not been outed yet, and her name is Esther. And Esther is in the castle. So she's secluded in the castle, and as you read that story, here's what you find out. Here's what she does. First, she hears that Mordecai is weeping and wailing and dressed really horribly. So she does what any woman would do. She buys him new clothes, right? And she sends him through a messenger. Here, put these on, you'll look a lot better. And he sends them back and says, no. And then she tries to figure out what's going on. Here, here's how Christians are. Okay, let's just bring this into our culture. Here's what most American Christians are like. 
We're in a castle. It looks like a church. Culture's going to hell in a handbasket on the outside. There's lots of weeping and wailing. And instead of us investigating the situation, trying to find out what's causing all the problem, we just try to dress it up a little bit. Here's some new clothes. Put it on. Try to look like us. See, when our faith is private, we fall victim to two of the deadliest attacks that the enemy has against us. Insulation and isolation. Insulation keeps us from the people that need us. And isolation keeps us from the people that we need. Think about the American church. Think about how many people come to church every Sunday, and if you ask them to name anybody that they know in their life that's not a Christian, they'd be like, uh, hold on, I, I, I know there's somebody, hold on, hold on. Um, oh, oh, I know, the pastor. <laughs> what? <laughs> like we're so insulated, right, from the world. That's why like, the, best, the best evangelists are people who just get saved, right? Because like their entire world are people that don't know Jesus, and they just go tell everybody. But then you get insulated into the castle, and so you never really know anybody anymore. That's kind of where Esther is. She's insulated in the castle, right? She's like, you know what? I think I'm safe here. I'm sorry you're facing all that out here. Here's some new clothes. Try them on. And when that didn't work, because she loves Mordecai, he's her cousin, she investigates to find out what exactly is going on. That's where we pick it up in verse 6. She has sent her eunuch to find out what's troubling Mordecai. So Hathak, great name, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Verse 7, Mordecai told him exactly what was happening, the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. More bonus points if you can tell me how much money that was. $172 million. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which, he had, been, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for money, uh, for mercy, I'm sorry, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. This is where he is, right? Like, hey, we can't keep this secret anymore. You've got to come out. I need you to go to the king. I need you to beg for our people. Is it okay to live for Jesus in private, but never live for Jesus intentionally in public? No. Because our faith isn't private, is it? Our faith is personal. And as it becomes more and more personal to us, what happens? It gets more and more public, doesn't it? You find yourself talking about your faith more, not like in a religious, well, if you'll do these three steps, you'll never have problems again. But more like, dude, I've been there. Can I talk to you about Jesus, like how he helped me? Our faith is never private. It's always public. Let me show you why we wrestle with this. I've got a picture, if we can put that up there. This is why we, I don't know if you can read that, it says, Ask me why you deserve hell. This is why we wrestle with our faith going public, isn't it? Because when we think of evangelism and going public with our faith, this is often what comes to our mind. And we're like, I don't want to be that guy. So, like I would just say this, if you ever encounter that sign, walk up and say, okay, why do you deserve hell? <laughs> right? That's what you want to ask. Because it said, ask why you deserve. Okay. Huh. Mm. Kind of slow in the service, isn't it? Yeah, kind of slow. Um, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that you always lead with it. 
Um, I'm, I'm just saying that we can't be afraid to share our faith. I don't know if it's always wise the first time you meet somebody to greet them like this. Hi, I'm a Bible-believing, TV-hating, blood-bought, fundamental child of the living God. Want to grab some burgers? I don't know if that's the best approach, right? I don't know if that's the best approach. But I think at some point when you're around those people, if your faith is personal and becoming public, then what happens is they begin to realize there's something different about you, and you're not scared to share that. This is where Esther is. I want you to understand something. We're talking about change. Some people react differently to change. A lot of people don't like change. Change typically happens slowly over time. And what we're going to see from verse 1 all the way down through verse 16, we're going to see this, that Esther changes through this chapter. Take some time. She's not going to be the same Esther at the end of the book that she was at the beginning of the book. She's going to change over time. Don't hide in the castle what is needed in culture. Jesus makes us different, but Christ just reveals the difference. Do you see the difference? <laughs> that was a lot of difference, wasn't it? <laughs> Jesus makes us different. If you've accepted Jesus, if you're following him as your Lord and Savior, if you're, you're following him, he, he's your whole hope. Like we talked about the cross. You're like, he said it was finished. I've accepted that. I know I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did, not because of how I live my life. If that's you, you're different, right? But nobody sees it. Often until crisis happens. The Bible talks about mourning and grieving as those who have hope. And so often what I've found in my life is when you go through the hard times and the crisis, that's when people go, there's something different about you because you didn't react the way I thought you would. You've got hope. You've got some confidence. So Esther is kind of wrestling with this whole like, what do I do, right? Mordecai says, hey, go plead for your people. And I want you to see, number two, there's a risk in going public. There's a risk in going public. When he asked her to go plead for her people, verse 9, Hathak went back and, respond, and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, I hope you're noticing this. They're not talking face to face, right? You get that? Like, it's, it's the middleman. How many of you are middlemen? Like, you got friends that are kind of fussing. They're like, well, you tell her I said. And you tell them, and they're like, well, I'm going to hit you, then you hit them for me, right? It's just like, What? I don't want to be in the middle, you know, but he's, they're sending these middlemen. He's going back and forth. He's saying, well, Esther said this. Okay, well, now you can tell Esther I said this. Okay, well, well Mordecai, Mordecai said, well, okay, now tell him. That's what's going on here, right? So Mordecai sent the word, and then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, verse 11, all the king's officials, so this is public knowledge, everybody knows that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king, has, the king has but one law. So if you show up in front of the king and he didn't ask you to come, there's only one thing he can do, and it is kill you dead. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. In essence, Mordecai is asking Esther to go plead for her people, and her response to Mordecai is, Are you crazy? Are you trying to get me killed? If I show up in front of him and he didn't ask me to come, he's going to kill me. You raised me. What did I ever do to you, right? I thought you liked me. Why do you want me to risk my life like this? You need to understand a couple things about what's going on here. One, um, she's the queen, right? But being queen was not quite like husband and wife. Do you remember how she got to be queen? 
The Bachelor Persia, remember that? They had this big beauty contest, and he picked her, and he liked her more than all the other women. They all had a night with the king, and he picked her. So, you know, without going into lots of detail, let your imagination run a little bit wild, but maybe not too wild. We don't quite know what happened on the night with the king, but he liked her. She pleased him. I'm just going to put two and two together and go, oh, snap, that's in the Bible? That's how she got the job. So this isn't like a husband and wife today saying, we need to talk. And men, how many of you know when the wife says we need to talk, never going to be good, right? We need to talk. And when she talks, if you're married to her, you better listen, right? It wasn't like that back then. She was not really like a wife is today. She was his favorite of all the women he could be with. That's the position she had as queen. It wasn't a position of authority. Um, she couldn't say, like, with her best British accent, accent, lop her head off. She couldn't do that, right? She couldn't. She had no authority. So when she says, I, look, even me, I can't go to the king if he doesn't call me. He will kill me. She meant it. She also knew this because I think Esther was smart. She knew that if she went to plead for her people, it was going to reveal who she was, right? Can you ever get really passionate about something? Have you ever had your passion give you away? Can you imagine her going in to plead with the king? And she's like, it's like Xerxes, baby doll, hubby, cakes. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, I, you, can't, like you can't kill Mordecai. I'm here to plead for these people. Like, they're good people. They work hard. They're good neighbors. People like them. They pay taxes, dude. You can't kill these people. And she would be so passionate. What would he say? Why does it matter to you? And before long, she would have to say, they're my people. And he would have gone, what? You're a Jew. That's how that would have gone down. And she's exposed. There's a risk in going public. Some of the risks. It makes us vulnerable to being misunderstood. It makes us vulnerable to being attacked. It makes us vulnerable to being rejected. I like you. Do you like me? Check yes, no, or maybe. No, a million times no, right? Oh, that hurts. That hurts. I was so vulnerable in the third grade. When I first met Wendy, like we started dating, and I'd, we'd kind of come out of these weird relationships. She came out of a relationship where somebody was stalking her, and I, I had my heart broken. And so we were real cautious, right? You're like, like our first date was sitting on, like she's on that part of the couch, and I'm on this part of the couch. And we're kind of basically telling each other all the reasons that we shouldn't have a dating relationship, right? You know, we're just very, very cautious. So we made this rule early on in our relationship. Because, you know, people throw around the word love like candy, don't they? I love you. Oh, you just made my heart go, poom, poom, right? So we just said, we're not going to say that. We're not going to say I love you, which was a lot of fun because it was like, I like you. I'm like, what do you mean by like? Like, 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 or like, like, or like, like with a capital L, all caps, like, like, underscore, exclamation, yeah. <sighs> okay, I like you, all right, enough, right? So we just made, made this rule. We will not say the words, I love you, unless... We're serious about pursuing marriage in a relationship. Guys, it's a good rule, right? Makes it very clear cut. <laughs> you know, I love, like you, right? So one night, I, I caught, she was in Columbia. I was up here, and she came to visit. And so I took her uh, to the church where I was working, and she sat down on the piano bench. And I had written her a song. And, um, and, I, and I can play, so I'm playing the piano, and I'm singing. I got the 80s mullet hair thing going on. Yeah, it's like, 
you know, the whole thing. And when we got done with the beautiful song, and I'm weeping at that point, and, you know, I'm just, I'm all in the moment, right, channeling my inner female person. But um, I turned to her, and I said, I said, Wendy, I love you. And she looked deep in my eyes, and she said, that's nice. And I was like, is it? (laughs) I'm a little underwhelmed at this point, right? I've got a new song. I hate you, hate you, hate you. I hate you, hate you, hate you. (laughs) Oh, man. Man, there's a risk, isn't there? There's a risk in going public, like in really exposing who you are. There's a risk. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. There's a risk. So here's, here's Esther, she's in the castle, and it sounds so good, and we know the story, so it sounds fantastic when he says, come on, suck it up, buttercup, and tell them who you are, and fight for your people. And she's like, whoa, I could be killed. There's a risk. It's easy for me as your pastor to say, tell the whole city that you love Jesus. It sounds so good on Sunday morning, right? But like tomorrow when your boss is like, uh, if you talk about that again, I'm going to fire you, and it's like, oh. Talk about what? I hate you, hate you, hate you, you know. There's a risk. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's true. There's a risk to going public. But there's also relief. That's your third point. Taking the risk leads to relief. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, verse 12, he said this. I love this answer. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He says this, uh, hey, sweet Esther that I raised as my only daughter, can I give you a little reality check? Here's your choices. You're going to die or you might die. Pick one. I don't know how you are. If I'm going to die or I might die, I'm picking B, right? (laughs) At least I have a shot. That's what he says to her. Don't think for a second that you're safe in the castle. Let me say this, church. There's a lot going on in our culture right now. There's a lot going on in our city right now. There's a lot of sharks in the water. There's a lot of stuff that we kind of, you read about ISIS, you hear about ISIS, and you're like, yeah, but that's over there. Over there is coming here, right? This isn't about about politics. This is about being smart and understanding something. These words that he spoke to her are just as true to us. I think sometimes God looks at this, this comfortable American church, insulated and isolated, and he's like, listen, don't think for a second that just because you're in that little nice church, you're, you're not going to, you're going to somehow be spared. Like, stuff's coming. It might be time to stand up and stand out and like say something. Because you're, you're going to die or you might die. That's his response to her. For if you remain silent at this time, verse 14, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you've come to rule position for such a time as this. Let's just talk through that verse real quick. Um, if you've, let me make this statement. There, there's risk in revealing who you are, but the risk of revelation leads to the relief of revelation. This is a terrible analogy, but I want to make sure you get the, the emotion behind it. Have you ever kept a secret? And, like, it was not a good secret, and you just wanted to get it off your chest. And, like, or maybe, maybe when you were growing up, you disobeyed your parents. I know that's probably never happened in this room, but you disobeyed your parents, and you didn't tell them. And then you started, did they ever just start to eat at you? Have you ever been there? 
Um, it just starts to eat at you and eat at you. And then like finally you just, for, for no other reason than that you just won't self-implode, right? You just tell your parents, I ate the chocolate. And they kill you, you know, like not literally, but they, they ground you, whatever. But, have, but you've never felt so good to be punished, right? It's out. You're like, oh. At least I don't have to carry that around. I don't have to try and remember who I said what to and when I said it. And you know, That's the thing about keeping, these, keeping secrets and stuff. There's a lot of relief that comes from just saying, this is the deal. And we kind of see Esther. She's growing to that place, isn't she? She's at this place where like, you know what? I, I need some relief. He says to her, look, relief will come, but not for you if you remain silent. Listen, church, we got to stand up we got to find this relief that comes from saying who we are, from saying, I'm a child of God. I live my life this way. I have this worldview, and you may not have that worldview, but this is who I am. And there's relief that comes from that, no matter what the risk is. It always leads to relief. Is it possible that believers today are stressed simply because they've not revealed their identity? So tired of trying to keep it hidden. I've got to let it out, right? And then I love the end of verse 14. The most famous line in the entire book of Esther. Mordecai says this, And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Can I just say this? Position and timing are huge. We hear this all the time. Be, Be in the right place at the right time, right? But You know what he's saying to her? He's saying it's not enough to be in the right place at the right time. You need to be the right person in the right place at the right time. There are wrong people in the right place at the right time. You know who there are? Thieves. Right? Because you're on vacation. You're in the Bahamas. Right? Hanging out. Getting sunburned. And somebody's in the right place, your house, at the right time. You're on vacation. But they're bad people. Wrong person in the right place at the right time makes you call the insurance company, right? But, man, when you're the right person in the right place at the right time, he's like, look, Esther, I have no doubt that God's put you in this position for this time. You're in the right place at the right time. Now I'm saying to you, be the right person. Stand up. Come out. Be brave. Be the right person. And Esther, I love this. At the end of this chapter, she finds resolution, doesn't she? Like the last thing she says is, if I perish, I perish. I love that. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, not a day. I and my maids will fast with you. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, and I might be killed. And she says, and if I perish, I perish. How many of you saw Rocky Four? That was the Rocky with the big, tall Russian dude, right? And Apollo Creed gets hit, and he's on, the, he's on the mat, and he's, like, doing the whole, like, shaking thing because he's dying. I'm, not, I'm trying to make fun of people dying, but that's what he looked like, a fish. Anyway, so he's dying, and, like, the, the Russian Drago guy, he just looks at him, like, as cold, like, cold eyes. And he's just like, if he dies, he dies. Like, that's the world, isn't it? Like, they don't care. If he dies, he dies, whatever. Look at how it changes when you're God's people. She says the same thing, except she's talking about her. If I perish, I perish. But it's worth the risk of me dying to stand out and say, this is who I am. 
And you might kill me, king, for coming to you, but I'm going to make sure you know you're killing my people, and I'm with them. Man, that's going public with change. Let's make a couple observations, and then we'll wrap it up. Let me give you your big idea. And, and I hope that you see this throughout this, this whole chapter, just this kind of this change, right? This change that's going on with Esther. Here's your big idea. We'll never change culture by hiding change from culture. Um, you're new here. You're like, what's the big idea? Hey, what's the big idea? The big idea is you're going to forget everything that I just said, but if you can remember that, you got the whole message. And if you're smart, you're like, why don't you just tell us that and send us to lunch? Because <laughs> I'm a pastor. You can't do that. It's impossible. We'll never change culture by hiding change from culture. This is, this is the insanity, to me, of the American church, isn't it? We're different. Don't tell anybody. If we tell them, they'll think that we're crazy. If we act like we love Jesus, they'll think that we're fanatics. Don't tell them. Let's just be different but in the castle. But you'll never, and then we complain about culture, right? God, it's like, they're going to hell in a handbasket. You, you're, you're safe, so you say, they're going to H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket, right? We complain about culture, but here's the thing. We have what culture needs. Don't stay in the castle. Don't hide that change. You'll never change culture by hiding change from culture. Show them the difference. Here, here was the second. I almost went with another big idea, but I think that one's so much better. But I'll give you this one, and you can pick which one you like better. I was going to say, when we blend in, we end influence. When we blend in, we end influence. I mean, God has, I know it's hard to believe because you know yourself, right? So you like looked in the mirror this morning and went, Jesus loves me? Really? <laughs> He's put you where you need to be. As we find out as we go through the rest of the story, I mean, we're just, we're just in chapter 4. Like, we hadn't even gotten to the good stuff yet, right? But when Esther actually, she's telling them, I'm going to go to the king. But when we get to come back next week and talk about how she went to the king and what happened when she went to the king, you start to see how the whole story changes you begin to realize God has put her right where she needs to be, and he's done the same thing for you. He has changed you. How many of you were different today than you were a year ago? He's changed you, and he wants people that are in your life to see that change. We will brag about all kinds of changes until it comes to Jesus. And then I don't want to offend anybody. Dude, offend them. It's good. Tell them what, tell them what he's done for you. You have what they need. You have been changed. We have exactly what the culture needs. It's time for us to show it. So instead of being content in the castle and complaining about those people, let's go tell those people what Jesus wants to do in their lives. Who are you? Let me give you five verses, six verses. Who are you? you just jot these down. No matter how you live last week, no matter if you read the Bible or didn't read the Bible, if you feel like you failed or if you feel like you had the best week ever, I don't know where you were, but this is true about you no matter how you lived your life last week because this is dependent on the cross, period, okay? When he said it is finished, these are the things that were finished. This is true about you. Jot these scriptures down on your note sheet. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork. You were made by God, period. His workmanship. Psalm 139, 13 through 14, says that in your mother's womb, you were uniquely formed. Man, you're made exactly, I mean, like your big nose, he meant it. 
I don't know how it's going to fit to the whole scheme of things, but you're going to smell something. It's going to solve a mystery. I don't know. It's going to be amazing. All right. We are new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You ever look at your spouse and think, God, would you ever change? If they're following Jesus, they're a new creation. It's good news for all the married people. 1 Peter 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 9 is the junior high, the middle school verse. That's the middle school PE class verse. We are chosen. If you grew up in middle school and you lined up against the wall and they said pick teams and you were the one that never got picked because it was just like by default, I'll take Paul, right? 1 Peter 2, 9, that's your verse, man. God did not look at you and say, man, I got him. I want him. You are chosen. You are chosen. 1 Corinthians 6 19 through 20 says that you are valuable. If you look that up, it won't actually say you are valuable. What it will say is you were bought with a price, and the price was the blood of Jesus. More, you're valuable because of what, you're paid, what he paid for you. Okay, you're valuable. And then last one I'm going to read it to you is this, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Good preachers would have turned there while he was talking about other stuff, but. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and then we're going to be done. I'm going to start in verse 9. I'm going to read 9 and 10. You're going to hate it, but I'll help you understand it. Okay, here we go. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 6, 9 says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, Paul says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just break those two verses down for you real quick. Because this, if you grew, if you're raised in church, here's how you read that. You read it like neither the dun 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 dun. Like you picked certain ones and really highlighted those, right? And you picked the ones that you don't struggle with. Okay. So what he just said in that was, no one's got a shot. No one. No one's got a shot. Except, verse 11, that is what some of you were. Everybody say were. That's a great word. That's what some of you were, past tense. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You are changed. You're different. And the difference in you is the difference that they need to see. It's what makes you stand out. It's what allows God to use you to point them to life. I was dead, and now I'm not. I was all those things we just read that sound terrible, and now I'm not. I was walking away from Jesus, and now I'm walking towards life. And he wants you to come too. You're different. Don't hide it. You'll never change culture by hiding change from culture. What makes us different is exactly what will make the difference. Listen, Esther's learned that. She's learning that. As we go through this chapter, you see how she kind of, at the beginning, she's like, whoa, castle's good for me, baby. And at the end, she's like, well, if I die, I die, but I'm going to go to the king. Come back next week. We'll talk about what happened when she went to the king. This week, I want you to be brave. I want you to be brave and go public with the change in you instead of hiding in a castle where no one can see it.